in the ballpark, season 2020, here we go! Okay, we know what day it is today. We can all take one big collective breath until it all starts again on Thursday. My name is Michael Serpal and welcome to another week of In The Ballpark. Let me introduce you to the umpire who will dangerously tackle you if you come anywhere near his isolation bar fridge. It's Ryan Fryzy Hartwick. Fryzy, welcome to you, sir. Serps, another week arrives and thank you very much for that again. I would say that that is a full bar fridge at the moment, but given the circumstances, it's uh, definitely not. And as an umpire, you're not mixing anything with Gatorade. <laughs> uh, look, not at the moment, uh, but you might have just uh, stumbled across a little pre-match secret formula there, Serps. And uh, for those that haven't tried it, I strongly suggest it. Oh, that's the way to do it. Do not touch his bar fridge. You heard it first here on In the Ballpark. And let's get to the man who knows how many chill pills Chris Fagan and his goal-kicking staff have taken over the past fortnight. And how many mosquito bites Richmond supporters have received over the weekend. It's Maxie, the malaria pill advocate, Connor. Maxie, welcome to you, mate. Uh, thanks for having me again, sir. Yeah, I think Chris Fagan's, Chris Fagan's definitely been a bit stressed over the weekend. The Lions kicking six goals, 14. Yeah, they've got a bit of work to do. They might want to get Benny Dixon up there, I reckon. Well, Maxie, he's north of 50, so he wouldn't want to be doing this week after week. No, well, it's cost them last year in the two finals. They were very poor. So you'd want to think that they've been doing some work on it over the last 12 months. But it seems like it could cost them going into the finals if they don't pick up their set shots. Definitely have the ambulance nearby for Fags. <laughs> now, gentlemen, it's also very, very exciting to announce we had our very first in-the-ballpark interview over the weekend. We had a chat to former dashing Essendon defender and current long walk ambassador, Courtney Dempsey, who spoke about representing his proud Indigenous background through Sir Doug Nichols' round on the big stage at the MCG for Dreamtime at the G. And he also spoke about his thoughts on the game being played up in Darwin in 2020. So we're just going to play a little snippet from our interview with Courtney over the weekend. I was lucky enough to be in about seven Dreamtime at the G games throughout my career. And the lead up to it, was pretty full on, you know. Um, we had appearances every day throughout the, the the week. Maybe even sometimes two different, three different things a day. And yeah, it was very full on, but it was very enjoyable as well. You know, it was probably one of the the best days to to be a part of, especially the game, the game itself, the lead ups to it. You know, you start to. It's all about the education of it. Why Mike Long walk to Canberra? Mm. Um, bringing up the issues and and talking about the issues and having that conversation. You know, a lot a lot of people look at it as just the game, but we're throughout the week we're trying to throw out the message that that Longy actually did and why the walk meant so much to him, mm. and and that's what we're we're continually doing to this day with with the long walk. It is a a big privilege and and, a, and an honour to participate in something so big. Well, gents, how good was it to have Courtney Dempsey on the show? He was an exceptional guest and very, very generous with his time. Hasn't In the Ballpark started with a bang in terms of its guest list? Couldn't be more appropriate for 
the all-important Indigenous round as well, Serp. So very nicely done. Your interviewing skills once again came to the floor there. That is for sure. This week and this occasion and perhaps particularly Essen and Richmond players, this round will always hold significance no matter whether you're still playing or not, I guess. Absolutely, mate. And I think he was also incredibly excited about Essendon's Indigenous players that we have on our list, including Irving Mosquito, but also Lachlan Johnson, Chris Johnson's son. So if he brings the same kind of flair and hardness around the ball like he did, uh, we're going to have a lot of exciting years ahead of us as well on the list. So, yeah, Courtney was absolutely sensational. Oh, well said, sir. You're, you're in um, pretty good interviewing form, mate. Justin Langer last week, Courtney Dempsey this week. Who's next? You're going to be interviewing Elon Musk soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we do still need to talk about the 2042 AFL season on Mars. So we've got to get Elon on the show very, very soon and possibly get some better cameras around the goal lines as well. So hopefully Elon will be able to facilitate that. Yeah, you're doing a great job, man. Uh, thank you very much, gentlemen. I think one of the best things is during this period of time when we're all in lockdown, we are reminded about the great community of people that we have, not only who are involved in the current game of footy, but of, who have been a part of the footy community in the past as well. So it's fantastic that they can contribute to our show, but they can also contribute to some of the great discussions that we can have surrounding the great game of footy. So brilliant time to be able to talk to people about footy. Little things like that, sir, go a long way, particularly when we're unfortunately without the dream time at the G this year. I think all factors considered the league did quite well scrapping together this occasion to sort of make something of it, do the best they can and give the Darwin people, I suppose across the whole weekend, a taste of some live action that they clearly don't get a lot of. So there's those little positives you've got to take. And it's a very, very interesting point you bring up there as well, Frizy, about the Dreamtime in Darwin Clash. I mean, gents, did you like the look of it? Obviously, the aesthetic was very, very different to the 80,000 plus at the MCG with the long walk to the ground and obviously some of the astonishing pre-game ceremony rituals. It looks set to be back in Melbourne in future years, but do you think this game should be played there maybe once every four years to really get the community excited over there? Yeah, there have been some different ideas. I don't mind that idea. I've also heard the idea of Essendon Richmond playing twice every year, which for an Essendon supporter isn't great news at the moment, <laughs> considering our recent record against the Tigers. But um, yeah, I think the idea of having it every third or fourth year would be pretty special there. I, I love the look of it. I think the um the rev up the oh. I'm not sure what it, what his name was I should have done more research but that was one of the best rev ups I've ever heard I reckon we just get in there every year but um it's always special having eighty thousand plus at the G but given the circumstances we find ourselves in this year it was great to see all the locals get down there one thing about TIO Stadium that's a bit weird is you see all the people at one end of the ground and then there's this sort of weird setup at the other end which I don't really get it seems like a a big stand with not many people in it so. I don't know what they're doing at that at that end of the ground, but yeah, it was great to see and there was a lot of great Aboriginal performances. Shy Bolton won the award and we got to see as Essendon supporters, hopefully a forward pocket for the next ten years in Irving Mosquito have a very exciting debut. So didn't go our way as Bomber supporters this year, but it was great to see the game played and done. And I must say as well, a lot of first gamers might be very, very tempted to give a handball when running into the forward 50, but he did not look back. He just kept running and kicked one of the most sensational goals you will see. So good on Irving. He's got plenty of confidence, plenty of buzz, and a lot of excitement as well. He's going to be a great player for the future, as you gents mentioned. And Maxie, as you mentioned, the incredible rev up 
by none other than Richard Fejo and elder of the Fejo family and one of the families that make up the Larrakia people. That Welcome to Country had viewers in the crowd and across the country singing his praises. And look, if we can have him every three, every four years, or potentially try and lure him down to Melbourne to do the Welcome to Country speech, then we will be getting entertainment every single year. He was brilliant. And I personally love the look of it. And it looked like the Essendon players and the Richmond players adapted well to the conditions. In the Dreamtime Clash, we saw a lot of players putting on the sweatbands. So very, very good adjusting from the players. They certainly did that. It evoked memories of a few seasons back. Ryan Crowley in an Essendon jumper with those sweatbands. I know he is a favourite of the show here, Ryan Crowley. Very topical that you should mention that, Serps. Yeah, I reckon it's great. It's got a bit of tennis flair about it, I reckon. Bring it back! The two English bowlers at the moment have got the headbands on. Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson. I reckon they should wear the headbands like they do with the tennis as well. Yeah, there's quite a few in that England test squad that have gone the same way. Now, is this, a, I suppose, a product of barbers not being open as often lately or is this just some kind of trend i don't know did, did someone lose a bet we saw a couple of uh, the essendon boys last year with the uh, with the peroxide hair god knows what can can come up gents let's get to one of our favorite segments of the show it is my footy memory bye, bye, bye. footy memory Alrighty, gents. This we week, go. we are going to jump on a bus very, very early in the morning. Similar to what we did last week, we're not travelling out to Kilmore. We are travelling out to the Mornington Peninsula. Oh, Gentlemen. No. Ah, there was no pirate, man. That was thy own sister. It's a Mexican pirate. What are your memories about the Mornington Peninsula trips and what do you think about the opposition? <laughs> Waking up on a Saturday morning at what? 5.30, 6am and going on a two or three hour bus ride. It was no good. <laughs> nah, boys, not fun. I was just going to say, I think we've all got some similar thoughts here and there are plenty of memories and they're all negative. Couple of hours on the bus. The team were getting rowdy, however, even though it was bright and early, we were passing around the twisties, listening to bangers and getting hyped up with sugar with those beautiful lolly snakes. We were loving it. It was a beautiful Melbourne morning, which of course only meant it was windy, bucketing down rain, tsunami warnings on the Mornington coast and a potential for a sneaky appearance. Other than that, it was a nice day to play footy. (laughs) Pretty sure if I recall correctly on some of those trips, they told us to bring our passports. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes, we were fired up. We filed out of the bus and we headed to our assigned ground. But very, very strangely, gentlemen, there was no one in sight. No team, no change rooms, not even a nearby bus stop to change at, no coaches, and quite remarkably, gents, no sheep as well, which was probably a relief after last week's story. I was going to say, Serbs, I'm sure these are getting better and better each week, but I was going to add, you're going to have to come up with a rip at a top last week's sheep story. (laughs) There was no sheep, but there was a very, very peculiar smell in the air, gents. Oh, there was a certain smell wafting around, an aroma. What's that haunting aroma? As we got closer to the playing field, we realised that the ground had been flooded out and there was a sewage pipe that had its direct outlet coming onto the ground. What genius rigged this up? (laughs) This is absolutely ridiculous. Gents, have you ever heard of a sewage pipe 
<laughs> spilling out onto a ground, a ground that you play footy on. This could only happen to you, mate. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, it could only happen to Serps or it's a, it's a classic school footy story, isn't it? You wouldn't get it anywhere else. The coach gathers us together. He has an announcement to make. He's just gotten off the phone to our principal. That's right. And we have heard that the game had been cancelled and uh-huh. that we were supposed to be told this news before we left the school on the bus. Oh, I was just going to say it. The least they could have done was tell you all before you took the hour and whatever trip it is down there. But they've completely robbed you of a sleep in. Absolutely ridiculous, mate. It was made even worse by the fact that it was continuously raining. And the bus driver, expecting that we had a game to play, had left the bus locked so he could go and get his oh. breakfast. So we had to go into a, a maintenance shed. We found a maintenance shed which had tractors while we waited for our bus driver to come back, who, by the way, conveniently did not have a phone either. So we could not contact him for about an hour and a half. Perhaps these do get better and better each week. Oh, what a Saturday morning. <laughs> do <I> remember. <laughs> I think you'd almost rather have an abandoned game than actually play it. <laughs> All righty, gents. That is my footy memory for this week. Bye, bye, bye. Footy memory. Let's get to the considerable winners and the mammoth losers for round 13 of the AFL Premiership season. Maxi, you've selected a team who we had on the mammoth losers last week. We were a little bit unsure where they sat in the top eight contention. But on the weekend, they made a pretty big statement. Maxi, who have you identified for your considerable winner for this week? That's right, man. I've gone with the Bulldogs this week. I think it was just, we built it up last week. It was just a massive game. Dogs playing against Melbourne. They're sort of two teams around about the eight mark who have struggled to beat any teams within the eight themselves. I think they were 1-11 and 11 together against top eight sides. So um, the Bulldogs came out 28-point winners in the end. They kicked away in the third quarter. They've moved to seven and six now, so they're currently holding on to the eighth spot. Melbourne were building momentum. Um, the Dogs are now four points ahead of the Den, so you've got to think that those two are going to be battling it out for that eighth spot along with maybe Carton and the Giants. Yeah, the Dogs currently got a very good midfield who are in very good form. So they've got McRae, Bont, who's come back in form in the last three games, and Hunter, who's come back, Dunkley, Bailey Smith. Liberatore and then Lipinski as well as they're really good off half back with Caleb Daniel, Jason Johansson and also Bailey Williams had almost 600 metres gained and also Hayden Crozier so they're very good at moving um, from defensive 50 down the ground and scoring and also Mitch Wallace is on fire at the moment kicked four goals the rest for the dogs were all single so it's a bit of a question mark on their key forwards at the moment with Josh Bruce and Aaron Norton not playing extremely well um, Josh Bruce just averaging one a game and then Aaron Norton used to just kick nine goals in seven games. Luke Beveridge also moved Tim English forward as well. Tim English ended up kicking a goal, but he got dominated against Braden Proust. A couple of question marks still remaining for the Bulldogs, mainly over their key forwards and also the ruck spot. So it's it's going to be interesting to see if they do make finals, how, how they'll adjust there. They've got the Pats this week, West Coast following week, so two really hard games. And considering their form against top eight sides so far this season, you'd think that they'd struggle to win a game. So they've got two really important games, followed by Hawthorne and Fremantle, which you'd think the Bulldogs would start favouriting. So they should win those last two, but you'd think to lock in the top eight spot, they're going to have to beat one of Geelong 
or West Coast. Otherwise, who knows whether or not the Ds or maybe Carlton or the Giants can steal that eighth spot off them. It'd be very, very interesting to see if they, as you mentioned, can beat one of those really top contenders. It doesn't get any easier for them at all. But I've got to say, though, they have definitely found a great role for Caleb Daniel over this season. He's been absolutely sensational. Setting up play from the half-back line, he's an elite kicker. So it really, really suits him well. And what about the rejuvenation, Maxi, of Libba, 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 Libba? He has been absolutely <laughs> awesome. And he snapped a very, very nice goal on the weekend. He just goes about his business, Maxi, and it looks like he is fitting into that midfield very, very comfortably at the moment. And you think of all those names, McRae, Bond, Hunt, Dunkley, Bailey Smith, Liberatore. It's one of the best midfielders in the comp and a really good mix of players who get in and under and then the players who get on the outside as well. So he's on fire at the moment, Liberatore, as well as um, Mitchie Wallace. So two father-sons in very good form for the Bulldogs. Very, very good form from Napoleon Dynamite himself. Look at him go, big Mitchie Wallace up in the forward line. <laughs> Frizy, have you been very, very impressed with the doggies? Yeah, look, hard, hard not to be. They have now put themselves right in the frame, the Bulldogs. I think Mitch Wallace, four goals in that sort of redefined forward role. I don't know if you guys know. He's he's at the moment in, in the top 10 for the goal kicking across the league as it stands, which is extraordinary. You mightn't have thought that pre-season, but still a very unpredictable sort of side, which maybe, I guess, means if they do make it, you wouldn't really like to face them in a sudden death elimination final, I don't think. We will definitely learn a lot more about the Western Bulldogs over the next two weeks when they have the Cats and the Eagles. Frizy, to your considerable winner, you have identified a club who is in some very, very good form, and they could be a sneaky chance of making the top eight if they win every single game from now on. Fremantle are in some exceptional form. Their young guns are firing in the midfield. They've got Matty Tabernar in the Coleman medal, and they've also got David Mundy playing some exceptional footy. He's turning back the clock. Frizy. What has got you in an absolute purple fever phase at the moment? Oh, I love it. I love it, sir. It's very nicely done. Uh, look, you touch on the young guys. Yeah, their impressive season so far has largely been driven by these young names. Andrew Brayshaw, we saw a young Liam Henry on debut, looked fairly comfortable straight away. There's also been a lot of chat about Luke Ryan's terrific season off halfback. So look, the upside is there. They, they got a good win at home over Sydney, 50 defeating 19, just the two goals there for the Swans. But it's not as though low scoring is an unfamiliar thing this year. Finals, yeah, guys, look, not to not to rule it out. Probably not on the cards, but there's there's a lot to like. Matty Tabiner as well that you mentioned now with all that's going on there with Young McCarthy's walked out. Hogan, we don't even know. The one guy that could be <laughs> pleased about all this is Matt Tabiner because another impressive game here and the extra spot or two free in the forward line won't hurt his chances, that's for sure. He is looking like an all-Australian lock at the moment and some very, very good news on the injury front for Fremantle. They have another top pick coming back in this week for their trip up to Cairns. Griffin Logue, do you remember him, gentlemen? He's going to be back in contention to get a spot this week in the Fremantle side. So, again, another very, very good player to come back in. And is it Caleb Sarong's Rising star to lose, Frizy. Oh, look, actually, and 
you mentioned uh, you mentioned his name. Well, well, you add that to a uh, a growing list of impressive youngsters that they've got. He's he's got a real core there, Justin Longmuir, at his disposal, and the excitement is not overrated. I don't think. Yeah, you know me. I've been a big fan of what Justin Longmuir's done. I was big on Fremantle early in the year when they I think they lost their first three games, and I was appalling them. So, um, yeah, I've been a massive fan of what the what the Dockers have done this year and how Justin Longmuir's switched up their game style and also all the youngsters that they've got. It's an interesting one on the rising star whether or not Sarong win. I think if he was a Melbourne-based club, then he'd probably be the odds-on favourite, but. Having said that, there's a lot of good young players at the moment. And Max King's debut this season, most people sort of forget about him when it comes to the Rising Star nomination. But it's Caleb Sarong's a very impressive young player. So and the Dockers are building a pretty decent young midfield, sort of allowing Fife to play a bit more midfield and forward, which is good. Yeah, as I said, I'm, I've been loving what the Dockers are doing this season. Whether or not they're going to play finals, I don't think is really important for them, to be honest, at the moment. I think they've just got to keep building and they're going to go places in two or three years' time. All right, where there are considerable winners there are inevitably mammoth losers let's get to a team that was a very very bright prospect at the start of the season but oh no oh no frizy what is going on at the gold coast suns it's looking more and more difficult now boys isn't it probably in that same sort of range as Fremantle as we just touched on where they certainly could still do it but it's probably going to take um, an undefeated run from here on yeah this outing Friday night was understandable perhaps with the four day break coming off that game they played against the Tigers you can sort of excuse that but it was a really really flat performance 33 points that margin of defeat in the end up in Darwin I know we spoke pre-show guys about Carlton and their wasteful seven goals 18 that probably could have seen them win this one by a whole lot more I uh, I don't think it's often a team kicks a score like 7-18 and still wins, but they were certainly all over Gold Coast for most of it. This performance, nothing like the rapid rise they've had this year, full of excitement. So that will certainly uh, hurt, I think, because if they were to throw their hat in the ring for a top eight spot, it's probably one that they needed to win. Got to finish off the last month or so in the same strong fashion too, I think. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that one, Frizy. The Gold Coast were looking so, so promising at the start of the season. They have had some injuries. That is definitely notable, but you just kind of expected they would have performed a little bit better considering how much was on the line, especially with this clash. It was a very, very disappointing performance. And Maxi, there's been a lot of changes over the last couple of days at the Gold Coast Suns. Can you explain in a little more detail what is going on there? They've chopped Dan Solomon, which is one of the inaugural assistant coaches. So he's been there a long time and he's pretty highly touted. Yeah, it's interesting to chop one of your senior assistant coaches, but... I think it just speaks to the amount of money that the AFL is lo- currently losing at the moment. And obviously the Gold Coast are pretty heavily assisted by the AFL. So they're one of the clubs who is probably suffering more than most. To lose Dan Solomon is a bit of a surprise. And from everything that I've heard, all the players love him. So he's welcome to come to Essendon next year, that's for sure. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh, well said. Well said. Yeah, look... It's a real flow-on effect. The reduced available funds across the board is only going to filter down and impact, well, all teams, I suppose, and this is the one area that takes a hit. So they won't be the only club that feels the brunt of heavy changes and things, obviously not changes for the better either. So it's something that they, they probably will all be learning to live with. But I dare say, though, Quite rightly, as you as you mentioned, it's those teams that rely a lot on um, support from the league that are 
yeah, really going to feel the crunch of it. Yeah, it's obviously a very, very difficult time for everyone involved in the industry all over the world. It's not an easy time to hold a job, that is for sure. So our thoughts here on In the Ballpark goes out to everyone who have been doing it tough in the AFL footy community, especially if you have been cut from the job. And hopefully in future, once this is all over, you'll be able to get your jobs back because we do highly value what you do in the competition. That was well said, Seb. Let's get to the other mammoth loser for this round. (coughs) The GWS Giants were in a grand final last year and now they may not possibly make the eight. What a fall from grace it's been for a club which we truly thought were right in the premiership window. Maxi, you are going to analyse what is going wrong at the GWS Giants and you might put your hand up to help them out. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. I, I didn't think it was their worst performance, but I sort of just wanted to highlight them because I think over the last probably month, they've been struggling. They, they obviously lost to the Eagles only by 12 points on the weekend, but I think the margin sort of flattered them a bit. The last few results were against Sydney where they only scored 25 points. They scraped over the line against Essendon, and then they beat the Gold Coast before that. Just the way that they're playing, their sort of game style is probably really worrying just considering the amount of change that's happened at um, the GWS. used to think of the orange tsunami just floating through the middle of the ground, but now they're just playing this kick-it-short, uncontested mark game. I think they had 82 uncontested marks on the weekend. They're sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul, as I said. They've gone a bit too far the other way where they've tried to protect against turnover and they're just going for these uncontested marks, but it's affected their ball movement. And they're really poor in the first half of the game and kicked a goal in the first half. A bit concerning, they're now 6-6, six and six, so they're sitting 11th currently with a percentage that's under 100. One of the positives they did have, I like the look of Jake Riccardi. Daniel's for... brother! <laughs> <laughs> he came in for Jeremy Finlayson, who's been omitted. He looked really good. He looked like a really good second, third target up forward. I think he came from the VFL last year. He kicked close to 40 goals in the season. So mature age, but he had 16 touches, kicked two goals and had 10 marks. So it was a pretty good debut in a loss against the side like West Coast, who's got a pretty handy backline as well. They've got Fremantle, Carlton, and then Adelaide, which would probably give them the win, and then Melbourne and St Kilda. So a tricky run home. You'd probably think to cement a spot in the top eight, they've got to win three or four of those, and I've got four of them as 50-50 games. So where do you see them finishing? I don't see them making the eight. I know it's a massive fall from grace if they don't make it, but as we mentioned in the considerable winners before, I think someone of the likes of Western Bulldogs who are really informed now have their little Bulldog tails up. I think they're going to be making it or possibly Melbourne. So where to for the GWS Giants now? I'm not too sure. I feel like they will be competitive, even if they don't win those games against those really highly touted clubs. But yeah, I feel like they're going to be finishing outside of the eight. So it's a massive fallout if that does happen. You did mention, on the other hand, Riccardi. Well, he's wearing the number 26, Maxi. So there is something in the number 26 at the moment in the Coleman medal and in big forward credibility. So I feel like Riccardi got the number right.
It's interesting to see if the forwards, who are all, all seem to be not in great form, is just a symptom of the ball movement, mate. So pressure's on the Giants at the moment. You guys think watching them, they flip and fart around with the ball a bit too much. I think trying to be a little bit too cute sometimes as a game style. I'm not sure if you'd call that a technical term, but it seems like a whole lot of unproductive ball movement, eerily similar to watching a modern Essendon side. <laughs> It, it seems like they're pretty similar at the moment. As I said, they're just a lot, a lot of uncontested marks. So it's an interesting trend that there's just uncontested marks going nowhere at the moment. And it seems to be Essendon and the Giants are the two predominant teams who are using it, and they're not going that well. I think Hawthorne might have started it, and Geelong have done it to good effect, but they do eventually move the ball. But yeah, it's very, very bizarre. You're not going to win too many games if you're giving the opposition time to stock up the back line and no goals to be scored. So yeah, definitely very unproductive play and certainly don't see the Giants winning many more games this season if they continue to play that way. Good analysis, gentlemen, on considerable winners and mammoth losers for this week. Let's get to bring it back. Give it the sack, have a crack. My back and my crack. Bring it back this week. We saw on the weekend in a massive way the stutter step. You do, you can, you, you want, you want him to do you so much you could do anything? Oh yes, that's right. Josh Kennedy special. Well, it used to be the Josh Kennedy of old. It's still did give him some effectiveness, and we do slightly prefer it over the 45-minute run-in ritual from Ben Brown. We are (laughs) definitely not missing that at the moment. But Rory Lobb, gentlemen, Frio are doing a lot right, but in front of goal, Rory Lobb got the full stutter going. The crowd were getting into it. And listen, he got his teammates laughing as well, so clearly it's an inside and outside joke. But how good is this? Gee whiz, I tell you what, it is fun to watch for fans. And people at the stadium are getting around it with all the jeers as he does his little Irish stutter step. And for fans at home to create drinking games, I've heard as well out of it, I think the stutter step is working and it should be back in our game for good. What are our thoughts, gents? I don't mind it. It's always interesting. Josh Kennedy and Rory Lobb are definitely the two main people who do it. I think there's a few other people who do it. Jimmy Stewart has a little stutter. In his run out, but I don't really understand where they pick it up from. But I know I couldn't kick like that, but it's good fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, I I certainly agree. We we haven't seen one sort of not regularly anyway for quite a while. I mean, Kennedy's the obvious one that's best known one in years gone by. The more of it in, the better, I think. Uh, even if purely from an entertainment perspective. And I think that's probably the primary reason of having it is for the entertainment perspective. Put some sound effects behind it, and I agree. We should bring it back. Give it the sack staging rage rage f***ing rage oh gents this made my absolute blood boil Essendon had the momentum Anthony McDonald tipping Woody the indigenous superstar from the Essendon Football Club on Sir Doug Nichols round runs into an open goal after beating his direct opponent taking a beautiful mark he slams through the goals to put the dons up by about 11 points, and the local crowd are absolutely going crazy. They're loving it. But as we go to an ad break, gents, I see the score in the corner go from 25 to 19, and I go, wait a minute. What is going on here? Clearly, they've got the scoreboard wrong. We return from the ad break, and I see Richmond have the ball in the back line with... 
Replay showing defender Dylan Grimes had staged and milked yet another free kick, which should have never been paid. It caused social media to go into a meltdown. And guess what, gents? It also caused Mr. Conservative himself in a press conference, Johnny Worsfold, finally admitting that the free kick against Jakey Stringer had a massive impact at a crucial part of the game. Well, gents... When you get a comment from Mr. Conservative himself, you've got to start wondering, maybe the staging has gone too far. What are our thoughts? And surely this is getting the sack. Yeah, get rid of it. It was no good to say. We don't like to say it in our game. As you said, it it could have been a big momentum shift. Um, I think the Bombers would have gone 11 points up at that stage and Tigers go down and try Bolton, I think, kick the goal. Yeah, it was no good, especially from a Bombers perspective, but sorry to all our Richmond fans, but Dylan Grimes has done it before. So, so I think I think Richmond actually, from what I heard, they were going to appeal for charge or the fine. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. He definitely accentuated the contact. In my mind, this was pretty similar to the Papley one, where, yes, there was a slight hand on the back, but not enough contact to to enforce that kind of a, a push forward motion. He's done the big Superman dive forward. So no good. Get rid of it. Fryzy, as an umpire at the time, if you see a player put a little bit too much mayonnaise on it, do you pay the free kick? Oh, look, if there's too much mayonnaise, you certainly try and uh, let that go. You, the last thing you want to be doing is rewarding that stuff. I know it can be... Easy for them to get sort of sucked into it sometimes. But no, look, as, as you guys have said, you, you really don't want to see it. And I'm yet to come across anybody who thinks otherwise. I just can't see any logical reasoning for wanting this in the game. And I don't think it's a bad thing either, guys, that we're bringing this up again, because I think it is that significant of an issue that we want to see eliminated as quickly as possible, because there's no place for it, really. It's a horrible look. Which one did you guys think was worse, the Grimes one or the Boston one? I don't think either should have been paid, to be honest, but the Grimes one probably was the most obvious one. I'm still absolutely blown away, though, gents, that the Vlostin 50 was paid, given I don't even know if Bell Chambers had made contact with him, and even if he had, it looked nothing more like a a half-hearted attempt to spoil. I don't think there was anything malicious in that. And, well, if the umpire saw it that way, that's fair enough. But can't say I agree, though. Yeah, I don't know what Big Belcho was trying to achieve just by sticking the arm. <laughs> but from, from what I saw, it was just no. all shoulder and yeah. not much head at all. Mostly shoulder. Yeah, mostly shoulder, just in the shoulder region there. So there wasn't really much in it. And you see in the replays and you play it back that once he got the contact around his chest area, he ended up throwing back his head in such a ridiculous fashion. And we do not want to see that in our game. Certainly shouldn't have been paid a 50-meter penalty for it. Again, another costly error by the umpires against the Bombers. We could get into all the one-sided free kicks that have been paid against us in the past, but we are going to hold our fire until we see what happens on the field this week. But Grimes, I think, Maxi, it's worth mentioning that Dylan Grimes, he has had a history of this happening. He's been fined $1,000 for staging before during a very crucial game, the qualifying final win over the Brisbane Lions. And it was at a very crucial stage as well because in that game, Maxi, Brisbane had the momentum and I think him staging resulted in a free kick against and I think Brisbane were actually lining up Having a shot on goal. Yeah, you're right. You think you think the embarrassment of copping a fine for staging once would be enough to change your ways? <laughs> 
who knows with some players. I think another interesting sort of little discussion that came up was, do you think the 50 metres is too big of a penalty to go with such a small incident like that? Do you think they should bring back maybe a 25-metre penalty? I've often been a big fan of this, Maxie. Yeah, for maybe more incidental, less serious offences, whether it's something without much force like that or runs through the mark or comes in... The protected uh, area. I or, hate that yeah, one. Yeah, or comes in the protected area. And that's probably something that I think most would agree shouldn't even exist at all. But look... Worst case, either make the protected area five metres perhaps instead of 10 or better so, yeah, 25 metres. I just don't think the punishment fits the crime with some of these. Especially when it costs goals. Like when teams are, what, 80 metres out and suddenly they're 30 metres out having shot on goal for someone running within 10 metres of them. Just some stupid little penalties. I hate those 50-metre penalties. Well, we know full well that the sport was alive and thriving in past eras without the thought of any such concept. I don't see what it adds to the game. And as you said, Max, it doesn't really have an impact on the play whatsoever. It's very frustrating to see in our game. So give staging the sack and umpires, if you see a player staging, make a statement, pay a free kick against them, give them a 50-meter or a 25-meter penalty. If you stage, you're going to be paid a big free kick again. So let's change that rule indeed, gents. Finally, have a crack. Now, on the weekend, we saw Melbourne's Charlie Spargo kick a very crucial goal for the Demons. He grabbed the ball, he kicked a goal, and then once he kicked the goal, he retrieved his ball and he ran with the ball as if he was going back to the centre with it, as if the clock was still running just like a striker in the soccer would do. Now, gents, as you know, once a goal is kicked in AFL, the clock stops. However, if we slightly extend the quarters just a little bit so you can keep the clock going, maybe we can see this happening more often when a team is coming back and they kick a goal, just kick it into the fence so they can retrieve the ball, run back into the middle with a sense of urgency. I don't know. It might be a good look for the future. What do we reckon? Sort of interesting. I don't, I don't think Charlie Spark has read up on the rules, but I, he should send a member out to Bailey Fritch because he took his time taking a set shot while the D still had a chance. He took his full 30. Yeah, he could learn from Charlie Spargo, show a bit of urgency and maybe just <laughs> he's just showing some manners and getting the ball back to the umpire in the middle of the ground so the boundary umpire didn't have to run it all the way up. Yeah, boys, I don't, I don't really mind this. In a sense, yeah, agree. Not too sure what the thought process was there. Um, one or more of his teammates will have reminded him about it this week. I've got no doubt about that. So where do you take it to then, guys? Do we perhaps, instead of we have 20-minute quarters of playing time, perhaps we say, well, let's just let that time on clock run to perhaps 35 or even 40 if we're going to be introducing something like this. There's any number of possibilities that uh, we could see thrown up. As you mentioned there, Frizy, I think something like a 35, or 40 minutes in a season regular, obviously with those longer quarters, it might be a good thing to see. And as we mentioned at the very, very start of our In the Ballpark season, we love the red time where it starts from a very, very high number and keeps on going up. We love that indeed, the five-minute warnings. It just gives a sense of urgency and an unpredictability to the game. And this is no different as well. It's slightly more respectful than a player running into an open goal square and kicking it 80 metres up into the air. That will remain 
one of my most preferred bring it back that we've had this season is the red time. We can't forget that red time, gents. With a little bit of uh, fortune, we will get that one back. I've got to quickly ask you, gents. Obviously, when a ball spills into the crowd, you feel a sense of urgency to throw the ball back in because obviously that's the ball that they're using in the game. But if a ball is kicked by a player running into an open goal and they kick it into the higher stand... Do you have the entitlement to keep the ball or is it polite to throw it back? I've always wondered about this because it's a beautiful, fresh share and they obviously have some down on the ground. Are we entitled to keep the ball or should we be nice and throw it back? It should be like baseball, I reckon. If you catch it, you can keep it. Yeah, you mark it, you keep it. Look, I'm all for that. If it's a tiny tweak like that that brings a few more people through the door, fantastic. And look, as you said, sir, they've got an oversupply of, uh, of footballs available there. I don't think one or two per game being given away is going to hurt. Well, gents, it is that time of the show. We're going to review round 14 and the games that we are most excited about. And Maxi, let's start with you. We're talking about the two opposition animals. What game are you most excited about? <laughs> I'm going for the Bulldogs versus Geelong. I think it's a massive game on Friday night at Metricon. Uh, Bulldogs are currently in eighth, so they're battling for their position in the eight, while Geelong are third, so they're battling for their position both in the top two and the top four. So, massive game. Bulldogs, as I said, they've got a poor record against top eight sides, so it's going to be a huge game. They had a good win against Melbourne on the weekend, as I mentioned, but Geelong, along with West Coast, the two best sides in the competition at the moment, so... Huge game for both sides. What key matchups are you most looking forward to out of this game? Uh, probably the midfield. I mentioned last week with Geelong, their midfield's really improved with Guthrie and Menegola, whilst also still having, obviously, Dangerfield and a few others going through there. And as I mentioned before, the Bulldogs probably one of the best informed um, midfields in the comp at the moment. So to me, it's all about the midfield at the moment and also who's going to line up on who's going to line up and stop Tommy Hawkins. That's right. That's going to be a very, very intriguing battle between the big informed forward. Fryzy, what game are you most excited about? Because you have identified one of the great modern and olden day rivalries. I have, man. I couldn't quite go past uh, this one. I mean, a Carlton-Collingwood clash would be uh, one to watch regardless. It has been, well, as you say, sir, since just about forever. There's so much on the line here, though. The, uh, the implications could be massive. We're talking finals place with approximately a month to go. I don't think both of these teams could make it, but uh, certainly one of them can. Yeah, as I said, the, the implications of this result could be enormous. Uh, don't think we ever thought we'd see a Carlton-Collingwood clash in Queensland, to be quite honest, but that is okay because it's 2020 and what else? <laughs> Probably tipping Collingwood slightly just with, you'd think, experience. Carlton had that that impressive win last week. So they'll they'll know how important it is for them. The winner of this is uh, is probably quite well-placed, I think. Absolutely, they are. And, gents, I've got to ask you a very, very important question about this clash. Is this the only time that we lift restrictions slightly to get some Carlton and Collingwood supporters in a hub together and at the ground together to create some... Good old friction that you would usually have at the MCG. Is this the only time we're going to allow this to happen? (laughs) You are an ideas man, Serp, and uh, you are quite a salesman, as we know. 
If only, because I guarantee you any of those stadiums up there, they would well and truly fill them and some more. It's not quite the same feel as seventy or 80,000 at the MCG, but it's, uh, it's the best we've got at the moment. Try and get Joffa into that hub with the <laughs> golden jacket. We need it in this game, that is for sure. And gents, what are our opinions on the Thursday night doubleheader, or should I say Thursday afternoon evening doubleheader? Do we like the look of this and will this be a trend for future rounds and possibly future years? Because Hawthorne play Essendon at the Adelaide Oval and then we go Richmond and West Coast at Metricom. Do we like the interstate switch to the next game on a Thursday evening? No. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think this future has a future. A, four, a 440 on a Thursday, Arvo. I think this is a 2020 special only. I don't know how often we're going to see it wheeled out again. This is probably the year where we can afford to do it. We can get away with it. Um, we've had games every day of the week. So the time is just the unusual one. If you're going to do a double header on any night for that matter, even play two games simultaneously perhaps um, and give the viewers the choice. But to start one before 5pm on, on what is a weekday is downright bizarre. I don't think they would have been expecting to get many fans in there anyway for the Hawthorne Essendon game, given it's in Adelaide, but you're making it even more difficult, that's for sure. Have you liked the double headers even on Friday night, sir? Because I've personally found them I sit through the first game and then I usually struggle to watch the second game. Have you liked it? I much prefer them on a Saturday, to be honest with you, Maxie. Just for yeah. some reason, being on a Friday, you, you just kind of get hyped up for one Friday night game. It's, yeah, very, very difficult to have two, I think. And you try and load up Saturdays with your most quality games. And if you can have at least one good one on Saturday night, if the other one's not going so good, you can switch to the to the best one, mm. the, the succulent choice. I personally think from a fixture perspective, I mean, it helped that the game spectacle and the two clubs playing were brilliant. But I just loved what Richmond and Port Adelaide did with that 440 fixture on a Saturday going in with the twilight. I just thought that was a real big winner for me. But again, yeah, don't think that's a weekday. Thursday night. No. No, no. The weekday factor is the the one I just can't wrap my head around for mine. Any anything else, Saturday or Sunday, we've seen 440s work well for well over a decade now. But this, I must admit, I had to look twice at this when I saw it because I thought uh, I thought the website was was playing games on me, gents. <laughs> You thought it was a floating fixture, Fryzy. Well, it may as well be because that is absolutely ridiculous, AFL. Change that straight away. It's not too late. Well, gents, lots of exciting succulent... A succulent Chinese meal. ...matchups this round. And again, it's been another brilliant show on In the Ballpark. Very, very excited for round 14. Thanks, Serps. And Maxie, good on you guys. And not quite the feast that we've had recently, but uh, it's still only a couple of days away. So uh, enjoy that. In particular, that double header. Hope you guys uh, enjoy that on Thursday night. Beautiful. Thanks, Serp. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me on another episode of In the Ballpark. And for all of our lovely listeners out there, make sure you like our Facebook page. You can look at all of our awesome content on our Instagram page at In the Ballpark AFL. And be sure to check out the visual component of our interview with Courtney Dempsey as well on our YouTube page. It's been an absolute joy and a privilege again. See you next time on In The Ballpark. Half-calf? Right, half-calf. Half-calf. We're, we're, we're going to have a half-calf. We're going to have a half-calf. Yeah. Yay.